Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective, and today we're looking at chapters 32, 33, 34 of Insurgent. So where we left off, Janine starts doing tests on Triss, and apparently she has a weird brain. Uh, uh, I don't know, her what's a jiggets are reacting differently to her thingamabobs. Uh, it's all techno mumbo jumbo to me. And then it's revealed that Caleb was helping the erudite all along. What? And so we pick up and she's waking up in her holding cell as she seems to be doing a lot. That's how we've started the last three chapters, but who cares? And so her mind is reeling about Caleb. And she says, why did I never wonder how Eric and Janine knew that I had aptitude for three factions? Well, you did wonder. (laughs) You did wonder. Janine mentioned it a couple of chapters ago and you were like, that's a bit odd. And then you didn't develop that idea further, but it did cross your mind. And here she's like, I never saw it coming. Well, you did. She says, I can't make sense of it. Caleb, betraying me. When did that happen? Was it after the attack simulation, after the escape from Emity, or was it earlier than that? Was he just always a dirty dog? She thinks he must have been lying when he met up with them and said that he'd left Erudite. And she says, my brother chose faction over blood. There has to be a reason. And I'm like, yeah, that's like literally the whole catchphrase of this society, faction before blood. That's what everybody does. Everybody does it. At the choosing ceremony, you did it. You chose faction before blood. And now she's like, how could he? How could he choose faction before blood? Just the same way you did. Well, actually not the same way. It's a bit more extreme, but still like that is the catchphrase. And she thinks Janine must have threatened him or coerced him in some way, or he's just a dickhead. He could just be a backstabbing asshole. That could be the case. And so then Peter comes in, he gives her a sandwich and she says, how long have I been asleep? And he says, about a day. Remember, she doesn't have a clock. She doesn't have a watch. She doesn't know what the time is. If you forgot about that recurring motif from the last few chapters, well, now you know. And Peter says, I'm supposed to escort you to the showers. And she says, if you say something about how badly I need one, (laughs) I will poke you in the eye. And I think she's trying to be super threatening, but like, Peter stabbed someone in the eye, so I don't think threatening to poke him in the eye is that big of a deal. He stabbed someone in the eye, Tris. You were there. So they start to go down the hallway, and Tobias is at the other end of the hallway. And she's like, ooh, when he walks past, we're gonna like graze hands. It's gonna be so good. She says, my skin tingles with anticipation. And she's thinking, oh, six steps, five steps, we're getting closer. And she says, but at four steps away, Tobias stops, he goes limp. And so his dauntless guard is like, hey, what are you doing? And Tobias twists around, grabs that guy's gun, shoots the gun. I don't know if the bullet hits anyone, um, but shoots someone. The gun goes off, Peter's diving. Her head hits the wall. I begin to pass out. Then my head hit the wall. Boom. And then Tobias is pointing the gun at Peter. So Peter releases Triss. And so then Triss and Tobias, they're just fucking running. But then she gets out of breath. I don't know how long she's been locked up, but apparently she's like a cripple at this point because she's, she's like, Tobias, uh, uh, I can't make it. And so he's like, all right, get on my back because she's useless. Her legs don't work. I don't, know how, I don't know how that happened. I swear it's been like three days. So she's on his back and he starts running down the hallways, which is kind of a good thing because she's not the best at navigating hallways. And he's carrying her like she's nothing. 
She says, he runs and even with my weight, he is fast. Idly, I think, how could he have ever been abnegation? He seems designed specifically for speed and deadly accuracy. Like, um, okay. He was abnegation because he was born into it. And then he left abnegation. I don't know why she's like, oh, why would he ever be abnegation? Well, he wasn't. Just because a kid's born into a faction doesn't mean they're apt for that faction. That, oh, that shits me so much. So much attention was put on the whole, your choice matters, your choice will destroy you, your choice is the beginning, faction before blood, whatever you choose will be your faction. And here she is talking shit, being like, oh, this person was born an erudite, so of course they're clever. Oh, this person was born in abnegation, so I'm surprised that they're strong. Well, actually, she says, <laughs> she says Tobias doesn't actually have strength, not particularly. He is smart, but not strong only strong enough to carry me. Like, okay, step off, bitch. Like, what are you doing calling him not strong? He's carrying you running down hallways and you think he's not strong. And so then Tobias runs past an exit and she's like, oh, Tobias, (laughs) hello, (laughs) you missed the exit. And he's like, no, I didn't. I'm not trying to escape. If we did, we'd get shot. I'm trying to find something. And she goes, I would suspect that I'm dreaming if the pain in my head wasn't so intense. But like, yet you just slept for a whole day. So of course you're not dreaming, you're awake. She's doing that Bella Swan thing where she never knows if she's in a dream or not. Oh, she thinks why, if he's not trying to escape, did he take me with him? What is he doing if not escaping? And so then he reaches a hallway, another hallway with panes of glass on either side, revealing offices and the erudites sit frozen at their desk, staring at them. So they're not going to get up and stop them. They're like, that's not our job. (laughs) That's why we've got dauntless guards. Where are all the dauntless guards? He just overcame two dauntless guards and now he's running around willy nilly and no one stopped them yet. But she says, as far as she could tell, his eyes were fixed on the door at the end of the corridor. A sign outside the door says control A. Then he shoots the cameras that are pointing at the control room, I guess. Uh. And then he takes her into a supply closet and he shuts the door and wedges a busted chair under the doorknob. And I'm like, oh yeah, that'll do it. (laughs) The old chair under a doorknob trick. Like that only works in the Flintstones cartoons. Like I don't don't know why he's trying to pull that one. Like what if the door opens the other way for, what are you going to do then? And so then he looks around the supply closet, but it's just them. And I'm thinking, oh, he's just stolen her so they could make out in a supply closet. But no, he says, don't have much time, so I've got to be direct. I didn't come here on a suicide mission. (gasps) So we did lie. We picked that. We all sort of saw that coming. He says, I came for two reasons. The first was to find Erudite's two central control rooms so that when we invade, we'll know what to destroy first to get rid of all the simulation data so she can't activate the dauntless transmitters. Well, that was pretty easy. He was looking for a control room and he found a room with a plaque on the door that said control room A. So yep, that would be it. I'm glad you sent someone in at great risk with no chance of him actually succeeding. But I'm glad, I'm glad Dauntless thought that's the best way to find a control room. As if they couldn't just storm the Erudite headquarters and just find that control room like he's just found it. And also now that he's shot the cameras that are facing at the control room, he just assumes that now the Dauntless can just walk on in and overtake the control room. Maybe they'll fix the cameras. What if they just get another camera out of storage and reinstall it for? What are you going to do then? 
And then he says, the second reason I came was to make sure you hold on because we have a plan. And she says, what plan? Even though I think he did just reveal half of the plan. <laughs> he says, according to one of our insiders, oh, they've got insiders. Do we think that's Caleb? Do we think Caleb's doing a reverse, reverse, double cross, double back loop, half stitch on China Silk? Is that what he's doing? Pretty fucking brutal. Like you couldn't have found another spy if that were the case. If I was Caleb and they said, hey, look, mate, can you go back to Erudite, pretend to be with Erudite, betray your sister, tell Janine all about your sister's fears, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But in the long run, it'll be great. But your sister will think that she has been betrayed by you and she'll hate your guts. I'd be like, hey, how about we get someone else? I'll say, why don't we get Al? If he's still alive, I forget who Al is. Why don't we get Shauna? Wait, is she dead too? Why don't we get Lynn? Classic Lynn. Lynn and Marlene. Let's, oh no, Marlene's the dead one. I don't know, one of them's dead. Why don't we get Marlene in there? Or Christina. I'd say, you know what, send in Christina. They've already got a fractured relationship. Keep me out of it. Anyway, my suspicion is Caleb's the, the double cross spy. Anyway, someone's on the inside and he says, we know your execution is tentatively scheduled for two weeks from today. <laughs> tentatively scheduled. I love a tentative schedule. I love it. He says 14 days from now. Well, I thought it was tentative, but now he's giving us a 14 day countdown. So I don't know. Uh, He says the factionless, the loyal dauntless and the abnegation who are willing to fight, which is probably what, like none of them will storm the erudite compound and take out their best weapon, their computer system. And you just said that (laughs) you just said that. And she says, before you told Janine where the factionless safe houses were. And he goes, yeah, I did, didn't I? And he says, well, that is problematic. But as you and I know, a lot of the factionless are divergent. Of course they fucking are. Everyone's divergent in this book. Every single fucker is divergent. So he fobs that off because he's like, ah, they're divergent. Don't worry about them. Half of them are already moving into the abnegation headquarters, getting away from those safe houses. So who cares? She thinks two weeks. Ugh. She like wants to die already. You know, she loves the sacrifice and she's like, let's get it over with. I don't know if I've got another two weeks in me. That's how I feel with being at work with two weeks before the Easter long weekend. I'm thinking, oh, two more weeks. Have I got it in me? Nathan, do you have it in you to last another two weeks before Good Friday? Like, oh, part of me is thinking (laughs) not, but I can do it. I can do it. And so can Triss. We're going to pull through. But Triss does say, I don't want freedom. I want sleep. I want this to end. And she says, four, I can't make it that long. He says, Triss, you have to, bitch. He says, come on. And she says, he never coddles me. I wish just this once that he would coddle me. (laughs) Oh, poor Triss. Poor, poor Triss. And she says, why? Why can't someone else do it for once? What if I don't want to do this anymore? And you know what? It's a good point considering there are an army of divergent people, apparently. So I don't know why it all comes down to Triss. And she says, I realize I don't want it. I don't want life. I want my parents and I have for weeks. I've been trying to claw my way back to them. And now I am so close and he is telling me not to, as in telling me not to die because she wants to rejoin with her parents. To me, that's a gamble. Like to me, the afterlife is not a sure thing. And she's going on and on about how she misses her parents. And like, yeah, I get that. But also you did change factions knowing that you would like never see them again. When you change factions, you get to visit them on visiting day just once and then ah, done. So this whole, I miss them so much thing. It's reading a bit false. I get them being dead is very different to being in a different faction, but you did abandon them. So, you know, potato, potato. And for his tough loving her, he's like, hey, I get it. 
I get it. I can't force you to do this. I can't make you want to survive this, but you will. It doesn't matter if you believe you can or not. You will because that's who you are. And she's like, oh God, thanks for the pep talk for. And then the door opens. Somehow a dauntless guard has cracked the code and managed to get around that rickety crickety chair wedged underneath the doorknob. I bet the door just opened outwards. I bet that's what it is. It seems like a foolproof plan. So then the dauntless traders, they come into the supply closet and they arrest them again. And Ford, Ford gives up the gun. He's like, here you go, whoopsie daisy. No harm, no foul. And like, I would have, I would have had a quick makeout sesh, at least in the cupboard, but oh well. And that's the end of that chapter. So we go to chapter 33 and guess what? She's waking up in a room again. Like, <laughs> I wasn't joking. Every fucking chapter starts with her waking up in that room. Oh. Well, actually, she's, she's waking up, but she is in a different room, she says. This room has screens and lights and benches. She's getting experimented on, and I guess she had a nap. I guess they were running tests, and she said, you guys don't need me for this, do you? And she just said, I'm out, had a little kip. And so Caleb and Peter are there, and she says to Caleb, ugh, did you ever leave Erudite? And he's like, oh, it's not that simple. And she goes, yeah, it is. It is that simple, bitch. She says, at what point did you betray our family? Before our parents died or after? I'd, I'd assume it was before, but it matters, I guess. I don't know how it matters, but I guess it matters. And he says, I did what I had to be. You think you understand, but you don't. This whole situation, it's bigger than you are, B. And she's like, oh, I recognize that tone. He is being condescending. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, you didn't have to spell that out for us. I think we picked up on the condescension. And she tells us, arrogance is one of the flaws in the erudite heart. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah, only erudite are arrogant. None of the others are. Mm -mm. Well, I think Kanda was pretty arrogant, but whatever. Dauntless arrogant. How are Dauntless not more arrogant than erudite? Oh, whatever. Whatever, whatever, whatever. It's all bullshit. And so then he says, this isn't about erudite B. It's about everyone, all the factions and the city and what's outside the fence. And she's like, there's nothing outside the fence. But then she's like, wait a minute, <laughs> outside the fence? What does he mean? How could any of this have to do with what's outside? And I'm like, I want to know. I want to, I, I know there's just Amity Farms because we did that excursion to the fence and it was fucking boring. But other than that, remember when she said there was locks on the outside and she was like, that's interesting. And then never thought about it ever again. Well, I've been thinking about it. I want to know. I want to, no, I sort of feel like a part of me is like, could this just be like a little experiment? You know, like one of those things, like I think an M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village, you you go in, you're watching it and you're like, oh, wow, this supernatural village set in like the 1800s or whatever. But then a girl gets out and she's on a road and you're like, a road? And you're like, oh my God, it's modern times. So I don't know if it's something like that. Or if there is like, yeah, experiments going on on the outside. Or if there is a huge big fucking Godzilla monster. Who knows? But I would like to get to that point where we find out. If we do find out, maybe it's just like Lost where... No, I'm not getting into Lost. Ugh. Loved that show, but it really dicked me around. Anyway, she says, I pushed the thought away for the time being. Oh, jeez. And she says, I thought you were all about facts, Caleb. Well, what about this fact? when did you betray our parents? It's like, okay, 
Uh, I get what she's doing, but it's just so lame. What about this fact, Caleb? Like, just be like, hey, dude, you fucked over our parents. They're dead now because of erudite. How does that make you feel, you little piece of shit? Don't be trying to appeal to his love of facts. And he says, I've always been erudite, even when I was supposed to be abnegation. I I guess that's how the faction system works. And then she says, if you're with Janine, then I hate you, just like our father would have. And he goes, uh, our father was erudite Beatrice. Janine told me he was in her year at school. Okay, but just because he's born in a faction doesn't mean he belongs to that faction. You just said yourself, Caleb. You said, I was always erudite even when I was in abnegation. So why is he saying, uh, my dad was erudite even though he went to abnegation? That's not how it fucking works. You can't have it both ways, Caleb. You'd think someone who loves facts so much would have figured that out. And she says he was an erudite. He chose to leave. Oh my goodness. You'd think she'd apply that own logic to herself of leaving abnegation, but whatever. She says, only you chose this evil, Caleb. And he says, spoken like a true dauntless. Oh God, can we just relate to people as people rather than factions? Like, oh. Remember how they created the faction system to stop division? (laughs) Dumbest idea. That's why it has to be like a big corporate experiment, right? Like it can't be real. Someone's having them on. Someone's watching from a different city saying, oh my God, look what's going on in Chicago. (laughs) They're arranging themselves via personality type. How ridiculous. They're all getting a good laugh, I bet. And he says, the world doesn't work like that, Beatrice. There's nuances. Evil depends on where you're standing. Ooh, I don't know if I'd be using that argument, Caleb. As soon as you're saying like, oh, my perspective of evil might be different to your perspective of evil, means that you're evil. Like, tell me you're evil without telling me you're evil. And she says, I think delivering your sister to be prodded and executed is evil. And he's like, meh. (laughs) He's like, well. So then Janine and a bunch of scientists strut into the room and she says, all right, let's view the results. And so then Caleb's standing by the screens. They're all pressing buttons going boop, 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 boop. And then words and numbers fill the screens. And Janine says, we discovered something extremely interesting, Miss Pariah. Okay, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. You have an abundance of a particular kind of neuron. Oh, here we go. Called quite simply a mirror neuron. All right. All right. What have you got for us now? What psycho babble is this? Oh, would someone explain to Miss Pryor what a mirror neuron does? A mirror neuron. And so then some erudite says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mirror neurons. They fire both when one performs an action and when one sees another performing that action. They allow us to imitate behavior. And Janine says, well, what are mirror neurons responsible for? And someone says, learning language, understanding other people's intentions based on their behavior and empathy. And Janine says, more specifically, someone with many strong mirror neurons could have a flexible personality capable of mimicking others as the situation calls for it rather than remaining constant. What the f- What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I'm sorry. Even someone with no mirror neurons can mimic someone else, right? Oh, I don't get it. I don't understand it. If there's any neuroscientists out there, please get in touch. Send me an email. Jeez Louise. And then Janine says, a flexible personality 
would probably have aptitude for more than one faction. Don't you agree, Ms. Pryor? And Trissa's like, yeah, yeah, fucking guess. She's like, oh, whatever. If you could just get a simulation to suppress my mirror neurons, then we could be done with this. And Janine's like, okay, <laughs> calm down, suicidal. She says, I must admit, it confuses me that you're so eager for your own execution. And Trissa says, no, it doesn't. <laughs> she says, no, it doesn't. It doesn't confuse you at all. Can I go back to my cell now? And Janine's like, oh, I, I guess. <laughs> but then she says, don't get too comfortable. We'll have a simulation serum to try out soon. Oh, I'm sure you will. A mirror neuron blocking serum. Oh, Any scientists reading this book are probably pissing themselves thinking, what the fuck? Who consulted on this novel? Or it could all be true and I'm just being a skeptic. I don't know. So then we have a little paragraph break and then someone shakes her shoulder and she jerks awake. She's jerking awake again. She's jerking. She's always jerking. She's jerking more than I did when I was 14. Like she started this chapter saying, I jerk awake. And now she says, I jerk awake. Think of another way to say I woke up. Someone woke me up. Stop bringing jerking into it. So she's jerking awake and there's Tobias kneeling over her and he's wearing a dauntless trader jacket, but his head is coated with blood. There seems to be some sort of wound on his ear and she's like, rot roll. She says, what happened? And he's like, bitch, get up. We got to go. And immediately I'm like, this is clearly a simulation. Clearly. I don't know why I know that, but it's just so fucking obvious. <laughs> and so then she's like getting up. She's like, oh, good. Oh, good. We're getting, we're getting out of here. And it's like, no, he just told you the plan. It had nothing to do with escaping. So then they're running down the hallway. They turn into another hallway. They see a couple of dauntless guards. Tobias shoots them, one in the head and one in the chest. And she says the woman who was hit in the chest slumps against the wall, but doesn't die. And I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> I'm sorry, did you go and take a pulse? Like what? How do you know? Then they go down another hallway and then another hallway. All the hallways look the same. And she says they're stepping over fallen bodies because obviously Tobias has killed other people. And so then she's like almost at the exit and she's like, oh, I got to catch my breath. And so she stops and she's like breathing. And Tobias is like, ah, okay, we got We got to go. Let's go. And she's like, oh, here we go. She says, no. Nah. She stares into his eyes and she thinks, hmm. And then she kisses him and she says, we can't get out of here because this is a simulation. Mic drop. And he's like, what? And he pulls her to her feet. And she says, the real Tobias would have remembered the wound in my shoulder. Okay, but you figured it out before that happened. Okay, whatever. And then he says, what? Don't you think I would know if I was under a simulation? And she says, you aren't under a simulation. You are the simulation. And then she says, you'll have to do better than that, Janine. And she's just looking up into the nothingness, just shouting out. (laughs) I don't know what tipped her off. Maybe it was the fantastical scenario that was in front of her, but she's been tipped off. So then she reaches into her back pocket and then like suddenly there's a knife there. She made a knife appear through, I don't know, willpower, mirror neurons, whatever, however she does it, she's done it. And then she thrusts the knife into her thigh and the blade bends. It's like, okay, I know you're in a simulation. So what, what would the harm be if a fake knife hit your fake thigh? But the, but the knife's got to bend because it can't hurt her in her dream. Like what, what, what's with that? And then she wakes up. She jerks awake and Janine's like, oh, you fucking bitch. You're ruining everything. 
And she says, what is it? What is it that clues you in? Tell me, tell me or I will kill you. And that's really not how to convince Tris to do anything because Tris is like, yeah, kill me. (laughs) Go for it. And Janine says, you stupid girl, you think this is about you and your abnormal brain? This isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about keeping this city safe from people who intend to plunge it into hell. Who exactly, Janine? Who? And so then Tris lunges at her, claws at her face, draws blood on her cheek. And she says, pain can't make me tell you. Truth serum can't make me tell you. Simulations can't make me tell you. I'm immune to all three. So she's doing a great little brag. And she says, you have failed. You can't control me. You will never be able to control me. And she's laughing. She says, I laugh mirthless, a mad laugh. And she savors the scowl on Janine's face and the hate in her eyes. And she's like, I broke her. I broke her. She repeats it twice. She says, I broke her. Next paragraph, I broke her. And that's the end of the chapter. So I guess what she's trying to tell us is that she, she broke her. So then chapter 34 starts and she says she's in the hallway and her side throbs from where Peter punched her. So I guess Peter punched her. I don't know if she told us that in the last chapter and like, I'm just looking back now and I I do not think that came up. So apparently she got punched uh, and then Peter walks her back to her cell and then she lies down. She thinks about her parents, just more of the same, really. She thinks about her dad, how he was erudite born, but abnegation grown. I don't really know how that works. I feel like he grew up in erudite, so I don't know. Abnegation, whatever. Um, She says he often found it difficult to live up to the demands of his chosen faction, but he tried and he knew true selflessness when he saw it. Okay, she's rewriting history here. So then she must fall asleep and then she gets jerked awake because Peter says stiff and she wakes up and there's a wet patch on a pillow because I guess she's been crying. And she's like, what's going on? And he says, your execution has been scheduled for tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. I don't know why they're telling her that. I guess maybe that's a bit of a mind game play, perhaps. Seems a bit uncouth to tell someone when they're going to die, but he's, he's telling her. He's telling her, even though she doesn't have a watch, so she doesn't really know when tomorrow morning at eight o'clock is, uh, but he's telling her. And she goes, what? But, but we haven't developed the right simulation yet. She, she can't possibly want to kill me. And he says, yeah, well, she's just going to continue the experiments on Tobias instead of you. And she's like, oh, that's right. He's divergent too. (laughs) She goes, oh, (laughs) didn't think that one through. And she thinks tomorrow my life will be over. Tobias may survive long enough to escape in the factionless invasion. The Dauntless will elect a new leader. All the loose ends I leave will be easily tied up. But why would they, why would they need to elect a new leader? You're not a leader. Tobias is the leader along with the tattoo artist and some other rando. And so in this scenario that you've just presented to us, he survives long enough to escape. So why would, why would they need a new leader, Tris? Then she says to Peter, I could have forgiven you, you know, for trying to kill me during initiation. I probably could have. Like, okay, that's all well and good, but could you have forgiven him for stabbing that guy in the eye? He's done a lot of shit. I don't know if it's... Your job to be forgiving him, but go off, go for it. And so then Peter and her sit in like quiet contemplation for like a moment. And then he says, I never asked you to. And then he goes to leave, but then he stops at the door and he turns around and he says, it's 924. And she thinks, 
Telling me the time is a small act of betrayal and therefore an ordinary act of bravery. It is maybe the first time I've seen Peter be truly dauntless. Well, maybe it would have been more effective if you said it was AM or PM. (laughs) You don't even know if it's AM or PM. And also you think it's the first time he's ever been truly dauntless? He just said a couple of numbers. It's not like he's trying to crack you out of the cell. He's not helping you escape. A small act of betrayal, an act of bravery. It's just the fucking time, Tris. I know you've been missing having a watch, but it's just the fucking time. So then she's thinking about how she's going to die tomorrow. And she's like, okay, all right, bring it on. Nah, she's actually crying a little bit. She says, I cry hard like a child cries until my face is hot and I feel like I might be sick. I can pretend to be brave, but I'm not. And she thinks about asking for forgiveness for all the things she's done, but she's like, I won't ever be able to actually finish that list. I also don't believe that whatever comes after life depends on my correctly reciting a list of my transgressions. That sounds too much like an erudite afterlife to me. All accuracy and no feeling. Okay, I don't know about that. (laughs) I feel like erudite are the least likely to have a concept of the afterlife since they're all about facts. She says, I don't believe that what comes after depends on anything I do at all. I am better off doing as abnegation taught me, turning away from myself, projecting always outward and hoping that in whatever is next, I will be better than I am now. Or you just die. (laughs) I don't know. She says, I smile a little. I wish I could tell my parents that I will die like the abnegation. They would be proud, I think. Or disappointed. I mean, they, they sacrifice their life for you and then... Three weeks later, you're dying. I I mean, I'd be a little bit upset if I was your parent watching on from the afterlife. I'd be a little upset. And that's the end of the chapter. So a short few chapters this time, sorry. So it's a bit of a shorter episode than usual. But if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, theories, grievances, please let me know. Let's ponder on the big scheme of things. Is there something going on outside of the fence? There must be. Otherwise, why would you have a fence? Let's think about that and we'll come back next week and see if we get any other little morsels of information. Let's see. Probably not, (laughs) but let's see. All right, bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 